Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. Good to be with you. Well, I want to get started. I just want to jump into a verse in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 18 says this. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. How many of you like that verse? Raise your hand if you like that verse. It's a good verse. You like it. You're good with it. Good. How many of you can explain that verse to your neighbor? (laughs) It's one of those verses that you're like, I like it and I think I get it but I don't know how to explain exactly how perfect love casts out fear. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. We are in week number two of this series that we're calling There's More. When you come to the end of yourself, there's more. Meaning, we believe that at the, ev- at the end of every person, at the end of every human system that we experience in this world, we know it's all limited. And when all has been spent and there's nothing left when we come to the very end of ourselves, praise God, we're declaring there's more. There's more hope. There's more, there's, more, there's more around you. There's more in you. There's more around us. We believe there's more. So look at your neighbor and say there's more. That wasn't good enough. Look at your neighbor and say there's more. For the record, I'm not talking about there's more like some infomercial sales pitch. This isn't like buy one my pillow, get two free. There's more kind of thing like that. This isn't, this is a deep seated reality that we all find ourselves at at times that when it's like we have to say this, there has to be more to life than this, right? That there has to be more hope, more love that's possible. There has to be more than what I'm experiencing because if there's not more, then all that we are doing is for nothing. We have to believe in faith there's more. So this last week, we talked about this topic called more praise in a culture of problems. And today, this, the message is titled, we're going to get into this subject, that more love in a culture of fear. More love in a culture of fear. How many of the, one of the problems that we face in our culture today is fear? Anyone agree with that? Anyone, are you all with me today? So we talked, I want to talk about fear for a moment because we've all experienced fear. There's obviously the fear that stays with us and kind of walks with us through life that we experience. And there's also sort of those moments in which we encounter or experience some type of fear. You know, about five or six years ago, my family had a scary moment. I may have shared this story even five or six years ago, so a few may remember, but most of you don't. Uh, we, we, were, we were fast asleep one night. It was about 1.30 a.m., and suddenly we were awakened by a loud noise happening downstairs in our house, a huge thud followed by a breaking of glass. It was very loud. All of a sudden, the breaking, after the breaking of glass, our alarm of our house starts blaring through the house, which you talk about a jolt of adrenaline, right? We jump up out of our bed. I'm convinced that someone has broken into our house And so I run to the stairs, and as I'm running, my kids are running the other way, right? My kids are running to me, and I'm like, so they go to the room. Everybody's awakened in these two seconds except one person, Grayson, sleeping through it all. I have no idea. He's just out. 
but they all, they're all crowding into the room, and I go to the top of the stairs. I don't have any weapons. I don't have any protection. All I have is thunder and lightning, baby. And here's the thing. <laughs> I'm like, you know, something poked the bear inside of me, and I was ready to go, right? And so I get to the top of the stairs, and I shout out, who's down there? Which right when I said it, I'm like, dang it. I can't take that one back. That was really dumb. I'm like, why didn't I like say something mean or I should have cussed at him or something. I don't know. Jesus was just guarding my mind, I guess. I wasn't polite though. I have to say that. I didn't say like, who's down there? Can I help you? Just wanted to know what's going on. I heard a noise. No, I got like, I got the inner roar in me and I'm like, who's down there? Like this threatening, booming voice, right? Anyway, I go downstairs. I'm about to commence in hand-to-hand combat with my intruder in my PJs. By the way, I'm, I don't have my contacts in or my glasses, so I'm literally going into this battle with blind faith. <laughs> I go downstairs, and I turn the light on, and immediately I encounter the intruder, right, the culprit, and it was... In my, of my own doing, I discovered very quickly a picture frame that I had hung that day, <laughs> apparently ineffectively, had fallen off the wall, hit the table, made a loud thud, then went to the floor and shattered the glass in the frame, setting off the alarm system and the glass break we have, pushing us all into an adrenaline-full, fearful moment, right? It took about two hours for us to come off this high before we could go back to sleep. Here's the thing. A lot of times in the world, we encounter fear like like this, this this moment, if you will, of fear, something emotionally scary, the fear of being harmed, the fear of being hurt, the fear of being robbed. In other words, what I'm talking about is that we have the fear of something bad happening to us. This is in general terms, one of the most common, if you will, kind of blanket fears we all face, that something bad is going to happen to us. So anytime there's the hint of something bad, like glass breaking in the middle of our night, in the middle of the night, our default goes to fear. Isn't that interesting? Why wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hear the glass break and I'm imagining the wet bandits climbing through my window to take all of my valuables. Why is it my default? What was that? I think something fell and broke. Why is my default to be afraid and not to be practical? Why is my default to be afraid and not to, be, not to consider that possibly just something strange happened? Our default, in, in our culture, there is a default to fear when there's this hint of something bad. Let's not even get into the fact, by the way, that we have an alarm system on our house, an industry built upon the assumption that we're going to be afraid and that something bad will happen to us. So we produce industries of security to combat fear. We fight fear with fear in our culture, don't we? We are told that you should be afraid. In fact, our culture profits off of fear and it perpetuates intentionally. It perpetuates fear. Have you ever seen the local weather in Oklahoma City? (laughs) talk about accelerating fear to make sure you don't turn that channel. It's not just the weather, right? We could talk about news in general, the 24-hour news cycle that it propagates fear-mongering, doesn't it? 
We've been told that we should be afraid. Fear of the economy, fear of other nations, fear of climate change, fear of an energy crisis, fear of liberals, fear of conservatives, fear of those who are quiet, they're too silent, fear of those who are loud, they're too outspoken. We are taught to fear our neighbor instead of love them in this culture. Subtly messages of distrust, security, and fear are around every corner. Even the biggest problem, and one of the biggest problems in our world, racism, right, is rooted in fear. Listen, fear never starts out as fear. Fear starts out as a lie. Then we agree with the lie, and from that agreement comes fear, oppression, and even hatred. The lie could be something like, oh, they are dangerous, or the lie could be, oh, they're stupid, or they're inferior, or they're an elitist, right? Then that person or group of people that we agreed with that lie with about, well, then a movement of fear is born that turns into hatred that can turn into things like racism. And so fear never starts out as fear. Fear starts out as a lie. But our Father in heaven, he is the author of truth. The enemy is the author of lies. So fear is just agreement with the enemy. Are you all with me today? Isaiah 51, 12 and 13 says it this way. This is the Isaiah the prophet, meaning God is speaking through his prophet. And he says this, I, even I, am he who comforts you. So God comforts this. And he says this, who are you that you fear mere mortals? Human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth. Now, this is an interesting approach to fear that God takes. I actually kind of like it. It's pretty cool. He's like, listen, I'm going to comfort you with how big I am, and I want to remind you that I'm your Lord and your maker. So who are you to fear? What, what business do you think you have that you think it's okay to be afraid? It's in, he says, this isn't some sympathetic moment like we often get in the scripture where it's like God's coming along, patting us on the back, saying, don't worry about it, I got you, don't be afraid. It's more like a slap in the face to say, who do you think you are to be afraid? Why are you afraid? I'm the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You don't need to be afraid. You need to be in agreement with the superior nature of God. Everyone say superior. You see, when we choose fear, we choose the inferior. But when we choose love, we agree with the superior. How many know that the command, do not fear, is in the Bible? That phrase is in the Bible over 100 times. There's actually 365 encouragements around not fearing or being courageous. So there's one for every day of the year. Go look them up. You'll be encouraged every day, right? But there's over 100. God does, and, and here's what I know. If God's commanding, do not fear, here's the thing. God never commands us to things that we don't have the capacity to do. If he's commanded us to not fear, that means a life without fear is within our reach, and we have the capacity to live that way. Otherwise, he wouldn't, he wouldn't command it. So the Bible is full of these kinds of stories. We actually teach in Sunday school for the kids, right? We teach them all sorts of stories from the Bible. What are most of these stories about, right? 
We love the stories that are about courage and overcoming fear. We love Daniel in the lion's den, him facing those fears of the lions and being faithful anyway. We love Moses and Joshua and overcoming fear and being faithful. We love Jesus and the courage. that. He, and one of our favorite stories is David, right? I love the story of David. So do you. I know you do. Remember David? David goes up to the battlefield. No one wants to fight the, the giant named Goliath. Everyone's saying, you can't go against that giant. His body armor weighs more than you, David. You're a scrawny kid. You better just go home. And he's like, no, no, no. I know I'm small. I know I'm young. I, I get it. I know Goliath is experienced. And they're like, yeah, that's why you need to go home. It's time to just call it, just call it like it is. And then David said, what did he say? He says, I know I'm not ready. I know he's big. I know everybody's standing back just waiting for God to fix the problem. He said, but I come in the name of the living God. He said, I know I got nothing but a sling and five stones, but with God, that's enough. That's all I need. I mean, that story gets me going in life. Sometimes I'm like, man, I can, I can do anything. I don't have to be afraid of nothing. Thunder and lightning's all I need. I'm good to go. <laughs> we have nothing to fear when God is on our side. This is what, we're, this is what we're, we pray, God, give me courage. And God is like, I already gave it to you. Why do you keep giving it back? Why do you keep giving it away? Why don't you hold on to what I gave you? Start feeding your courage instead of feeding your fear because eventually your fear is going to eat you alive. This is what he's saying to us. He's like, quit giving your courage away. Instead, start feeding yourself on the fact that you have nothing to fear when God is on your side. 2 Timothy 1.7 says it this way. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power and one of power and everyone say love one more time and self-discipline. God give, God gives us a spirit of power and love, not a spirit of fear. Because again, where is the spirit of fear from? It's from the enemy, not from God. God does. So God says this, do not fear hundreds of times in the scriptures, right? And I think it's because he understands what we need to hear. He repeats the things that we need to hear. He says it over and over again. It's an act of compassion and love. It's not an act of frustration and anger. He keeps saying it again because he loves it. It's like the mother, you know, when your kid's between like two and seven or eight years old, you say the same things over and over to them, over and over again. Especially, you know, let's take the example, you know, you're coming up to a street. You say, hey, don't run into the street. Don't run into the street. Hold my hand when we cross the street. Look both ways when you cross the street. Look both ways when you cross the street. Hold my hand when we cross the street. You better stop. Don't run out in the road when you cross the street. I mean, do we say the same things over and over again? Why? Because the mother loves the child, not because she's angry with the child. You see, God says do not fear over and over again because he loves us, not because he's angry with us. And here's why that matters, because anger eventually, anger eventually quits repeating itself and gives up. Love never gives up. Love never fails. Love conquers all. God loves us, so he keeps saying, I know what you need to hear. You need to hear, do not fear. So we need more love in a culture of fear. You know, this, this weekend we did... We did a, a Love the City project, is what we call it, Love the City around here. And I, there's a few pictures from this, but I was just thinking about why do we do, why do we love, right? I don't know, 30 or so people showed up yesterday, Love the City project, um, serving Restore OKC. I love it. So those of you guys that came, thank you so much. But, you know, we value loving our neighbors and loving our city because we want to agree with the truth. 
We don't want to agree with the lies about others in our city. We don't want to agree with the enemy. We actually want to agree with the superior nature of God. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. So we want to embody not only the superior nature, but we want to embody the great command of Jesus, don't we? When he says, hey, the greatest command that you have is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor. So we want to agree with that, but we also want to agree with the command where he says, do not fear. So how do we live a per- as a person who is fully loving but also isn't afraid? We do this, and we live this way. We have to keep pushing ourselves into this idea that there needs to be more love in a culture of fear. So we spend the rest. So I want to spend the rest of our time. I talked about fear a little bit too long, because that's from the enemy. I want to talk about what's from God. I want to talk about love now. Let's talk about love the rest of this time. The kind of love that casts out fear. And in Mark chapter two is a story that, guys, this story preaches. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those that teaches. It's one of those that encourages. It just keeps going. I've taught from it before. I'm going to keep teaching from it until we learn this. Right? How many know that God, God calls us to a kind of love that's not easy. Who knows that? You guys know that, right? How many also know that we tend to only love when it's easy? So we have, we have a problem here. When love becomes hard, we typically fall short. When love is scary or uncomfortable or awkward, love seems to fall short. In Mark 2, we find this story about a paralyzed man and four men. You guys have probably heard this story before, but I want to talk about it as if you haven't. So let's read it. Mark chapter starting in verse 1. It says, When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So he's in this house, so it's packed out. So men came, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And they lowered the man, or lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, we don't have any background about this man or the four men, but we can interpret a few things from what we know of history and what we know of Scripture. We must first identify the reality that this paralyzed man is living in an ancient world that is not set up for him, right? It's, it's, it's not set up for him at all. And this ancient world is it has provided for him a life full of rejection. In fact, most of society, they would look at this guy and they don't want to have anything to do with him. They're even afraid to go near him. He would have been considered unclean and unworthy of love. Something was wrong with him. I want you to just think about all the stories in the gospels about beggars and lepers and paralytics and the blind and the lame and the deaf and the mute. There's something about them that, that people were marginalizing them and pushing them to the outskirts of society, right? Physical disabilities and sickness, as we know, if we know much about the scripture, for the culture of that time equaled unlovable. In fact, during this era of history in ancient Greece, the Spartans, if they had a baby that had physical abnormalities, they would literally take it out of the wilderness and they would abandon that baby. I mean, it was just terrible the way they treated people with with issues like this. And, And we still deal with these sorts of things today. Yet here we have four men doing something that is not normal and it's not easy. They are showing concern, compassion, and they're, and they're even showing hope towards a man who has no hope. And they're doing all through the vehicle of love. 
Whatever reason, we don't know why these four men see this man, they decide they need to take him to Jesus. They decide they need to get him to Jesus. They had heard the rumors that Jesus heals the sick, that he heals the blind and the lame, and they said, let's get this man to Jesus. So moving him would be a difficult task. They had to pick him up by this mat. If you've ever picked someone up by a sheet or something like that, it's not the easiest thing to do, but they pick him up four corners of this mat and they start carrying him to the house that Jesus was in. And when they arrived, as we read, the house was so packed, it was overflowing with people. People are literally outside of the house. They're just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, right? They're trying to see through the window or something. They're trying to hear the faint words of Jesus. It's overflowing. So these men show up, this paralyzed man, they look at this situation. And they think there's no way we're getting to Jesus. There's no way we're getting there. But, but they weren't done because how many know that when you get to the end of yourself, there's more? Yeah. Amen? There are moments when you can't take no for an answer. There are times that love must push through barriers that life presents. There are times when love breaks the mold and shows the world that we don't have to put up with the margins that we push people in and try to keep them down in, right? These four men believe that this is not going to happen again. This isn't going to happen again. This guy is, this guy is not going to be left out again. This guy's not going to be in the back row again. They want to get this guy a front row seat. Look at your neighbor and say, he's about to get a front row seat. These guys, they do the unconventional, right? They get creative and desperate. Somehow they get this man up on the roof of this house. I'm sure you've imagined this story. It's kind of mind-blowing. They somehow get this man up on the roof of this house. And I'm sure one of the guys is like listening. He's getting real low to the roof and he's listening for where Jesus' voice was. And he's like, it's right here. He's right there. And so he's like, this is where we need to go. Now you got to imagine, they're literally feet. Now they're above Jesus. Jesus is feet below them, right? But there's something in between them in there. A barrier. There's something that's stopping them from being in the presence of Jesus. And they think we can do something about the barrier. We can do something to remove the wall. But, they, but, but here's the thing. There's a million reasons that should stop them from going through this barrier. Isn't there? What is everybody going to think? People are going to think, what's up with these guys? They're so extra. They're so much. They're so zealous. They're, they're just being ridiculous. I don't understand how they think it's okay to bust through someone's roof in the house. What's old Jeremiah, the owner of the house, going to say? You know, he's going to be upset. He's like, you got to pay for that new skylight. You gotta, I mean, they're going to be upset. Everybody's th they're thinking, is this, is this guy even worth it? What's Jesus going to think? There's a million reasons to stop them from going through this wall. But you know what? These guys do something else. They decide, they decide we're not only gonna do this, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna start chipping away at this dried mud, this old barrier that's been here a long time. How many know that sometimes we just stop short because we think it's the thought that counts? <laughs> do you think the world needs more thoughts? It doesn't need more thoughts. See, thoughts without actions are just unrealized potential, unrealized dreams, and our justification of how we don't love when it's hard. It's not about the thought or good intentions. It's about loving action. These men don't stop. They do the hard thing. They start digging. They start moving tiles. They're chipping away at this dried mud. And inside the house, Jesus is teaching. And I love this moment because apparently I'm sure drops of mud start, the ceiling starts to come in and everybody's like, 
looking up at the ceiling, going, what's about to go? And all of a sudden, this hole opens up, sun shining through into this room, and the room becomes dead quiet. Like, what's about to happen? This guy's coming, and, and all of a sudden, this man starts to lower down on this, lat, this mat, and everybody's wondering, what's Jesus going to do? It's the original WWG moment, JD moment. What would Jesus do in this moment when a man comes through the roof? They're thinking, is he going to... Think about the guy coming down. He's thinking, What's every, these, these people, they've all rejected me in my entire life. You see, fear works both ways in love. Sometimes we stop short of giving love, and sometimes we won't receive love because we're afraid. We're afraid of what will happen if we receive the love. But this guy, he did the same thing as them. He gets a lot of credit. He had been rejected his entire life, and yet he trusted these men in their act of love. He received the love. He gets lowered right to the feet of Jesus. And I love this moment, right? <clears throat> Finally, he's on the ground. Jesus looks at him. He looks up at this, the new skylight and these four faces looking down. Ooh. You know, they're like, what's he got? I mean, they're freaking out. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their faith, he was looking at the ones who did the love. He looked at the man and said, son, your sins are forgiving. I love this. Jesus responded. Maybe we could say it this way. Jesus responding to their act of love by adding his love to it. He's like, there's a movement of love happening. And how about I just kind of jump on that train? And see, what happens is whenever we get caught up in a moment of being led by the Spirit to love, we tap into the unlimited potential of our Heavenly Father. In, in other words, it's love that's the vehicle to the miraculous. It's love that's the vehicle to the breakthrough. So here they are. They give the best of themselves, but it wasn't enough to fix the guy. How many know when you come to the end of your, the best of yourself, there's more? They got this man to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus did the rest. He did what they couldn't do. Jesus gave this man a miracle because their love positioned him in the proximity of the miracle maker. That was not easy for them to get him there, but they did. You know, when we started this church, there was a calling to 23rd Street that we felt pretty deeply about. And we felt called to move even our family here to this community because proximity matters. Love calls us to burst the bubble of the familiar, the safe, and the comfortable, and to get into the proximity of things that are not easy to love. Fear Get this, fear calls us to live in the bubble that constrains, restrains, and restricts. It tells us that at every hard turn or every hard moment, you don't have to keep pushing, it's okay, it's the thought that counts. You don't have to do this, that's too much. Look out for yourself, take care of yourself, don't love people beyond reason. That's what fear does. It constrains, restricts, and confines. Love bursts the bubble. 
Love calls us to the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable, and a type of sacrifice that threatens our security and builds up our vulnerability. One of the callings that God put on this church, I believe, is that brokenness will be at our doorstep because proximity matters. If we build a life of nothing but easy people to love and easy ways to love, we will create a proximity problem where we perpetuate the fear that is already happening in this culture that divides us and creates division and forms of hatred out of a lack of proximity. You can apply this to racism. You can apply this to socioeconomicism. You can apply it to everything and every type of people that we're afraid of. You know, being in the Tower Theater every Sunday for some of us, oh man, that's cool, you guys have done that, that's awesome. But believe me, this is an act of trust every week. We are following God on this crazy journey of being in the proximity of the ministry that we believe God is calling us to do. Because every week we have to burst the bubble of comfort to be in here. It feels very real on those Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. when we're mopping up beer so you don't have to smell it or step in it. Then we realize, man, we're, burst, we're being where we feel like God's calling us to be. Trust me, there are days that I think, just like you think, man, there's got to be an easier way to do church and an easier way to do life. Fear will put the wall back. Love will keep chipping away at the dried mud until we see a breakthrough. So as a result of this church and the proximity that we have, I've encountered personally, and I know a lot of you have as well, countless moments over these past years where many of the marginalized and frankly, a lot of people who are difficult to love have burst my bubble. I don't think it's supposed to be easy. And I know I've failed many times and I know I'm still learning how to love. I know I'm too afraid to love not just people that are difficult to love, but situations that feel way bigger than me. But praise be to God for the grace that God gives us to learn, to fail and to learn and to grow and to believe that there's more. Specifically kind of love that will pick up the mat for someone else. And here's the thing about this mat and I'm about done. Do you know that we all have a mat? We all have our abnormalities, and the things about us that are difficult to love. <laughs> I'm becoming painfully aware of the ways in which I am difficult to love. I know this comes as a surprise to some of you, but there are many parts of me that are not all that lovable. Thank you for not saying amen. I just knew someone was gonna be a smart aleck this morning, but the Holy Spirit's moving. I want you to know something. The same is true for you. There are parts of you that are not all that lovable. There are parts of you that are difficult to love. There are parts of you that people would rather just keep their distance from. What I'm saying is we all have a mat. We all have a mat. And here's what I know is I will have times in my life when I'll get knocked down and I'll be unable to get myself back to Jesus. And I'm hopeful when I encounter those moments, there'll be someone in my life that loves me enough, no matter how hard it is to love me, that they'll get me back to the feet of Jesus. I need people to love me. You need people to love you. And we need to be people who are willing to carry the mat for other people in life. 
And here's what I know, right? We all have our own abnormalities, which is why we need the kind of love that casts out fear. Sometimes we're afraid to carry the mat for someone else because we're unfamiliar with their mat. We don't get it. We've never experienced it. We don't understand their struggle or their situation or their culture. Let's think about a few examples. They're dealing with, I don't know, we'll say we're dealing with a drug addiction. And we think, well, I don't understand that. So I'm just going to distance myself from that instead of carrying the mat. Well, let's just say they've been hurt by someone in the church and they're mad at the church and they're mad at God. And you're like, I don't even get that. I've never been mad at God. I don't understand how you could be mad at God. So I'm going to judge them instead of love them. We don't carry that mat. Or to a friend of ours who's experienced some form of racism, right? And because you've never experienced it, you maybe certainly sympathize, but you don't understand it. You want to help, but you don't know how to help. And so we get afraid in those moments and we, we back away. I've been thinking about this one a lot lately. What about that person who thinks differently than you about politics, specifically that one issue about politics that you care a lot about and you know they care a lot about and you're on different pages? Judgment rises up in us in those moments instead of focusing on the things that unite us instead of divide us. We are a culture that loves to major on the minors minor on the majors and we need to become a culture that majors on the majors and minors on the minors so that love will prevail we need to proclaim Jesus above all other things you know the other reason that we're afraid maybe we don't understand their map but sometimes sometimes we're afraid to carry the map for other people because we don't know if anybody will carry our mat and so we think man I have to make sure I have to make sure that I will never need anyone else's help in life and so what we do is what happens is we have a hard time receiving love, so we're not gonna give it because we don't have time to give it. Yeah. We're taking care of ourselves. So what happens is we become the most self-sufficient people in our world, and those self-sufficient people become the least loving people because they're spending all their energy on comfort and security and, 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 and convenience. But I'm telling you, when we choose to love, it starts to cast out those kinds of fears because that's when we become people who are willing to be inconvenienced, uncomfortable, and sacrificial. As the body of Christ, isn't this who we want to be? We're living in a culture that is desperate for love, and we know the answer. When I ask you, hey, how many can explain why perfect love casts out fear? I know deep down you can come up with an answer, but this is it. Perfect love casts out fear when the church becomes the church. That's good. That's good. And it starts to change the culture from the inside out where we aren't afraid of one another, but we love one another. So the reason we are called to love is because God wants to do something through his church to activate his glory in the world. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. Mark 2, I love this, verse 11. So a little bit later in the story, he says, I tell you, Get up, take your mat and go, which I love that. He's like, hey man, that mat, not as big of a deal anymore. Just carry it with you, you know, you got this. He got up, took his mat, walked out in, few, in full view of them all. 
This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want to ask you something. Who received the glory? Did the man who got healed receive the glory? No. Did the four guys who did the act of love receive the glory? No. It says right here that God received the glory from the crowd. He's the one who did what no one else could do. He's the one who brought more to the situation that changed the atmosphere. The four men did an act of compassion and love, and it was difficult for them, and God added to their love his love. As a result of that, the people praised God. The watching doubters praised God. Our acts of love activate God's glory in the earth. When our love requires sacrifice and effort and ingenuity, and, when it, and we have a hope to get people to the feet of Jesus, it's in those moments of love that it will be met with the love of God and the supernatural can take place. Listen, church, I'm about to pray, but the Holy Spirit, and, I, and I'm praying this right now, the Holy Spirit will never guilt you or bully you or push you into being a loving person. It will compel you. It will draw you. It will give you a vision of the kind of person that you can become. Because God, God is the author of truth and we want to align and agree with the superior nature of God and God's primary characteristic of his nature is that God is love. I wanna to pray together. Would you, would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to respond to this word. In a moment, this, we'll sing, and this altar space is always open at the end of our gatherings because we believe that God stirs up the heart. We believe God stirs up the soul. And whenever he's stirring you, we believe that that means he wants you to do some form of movement. He wants you to go and talk to someone. He wants you to pray to him. He wants you to open your heart up. He wants you to praise him. And so we create this space of response at the end for that very thing, the belief that the Holy Spirit is here and he's moving, the belief that the Holy Spirit has more for you. So this space will be open as we worship in just a moment. Feel free to come. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just give you this time. Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe today, just eyes, eyes closed, just listen to this. Maybe as today... For you, it's something that's coming to mind is there's someone in your life that's difficult to love. Let me just ask you, what can you do to carry their mat? The difficult thing, maybe that's the very thing you need to show love to. Or maybe it's bigger. Maybe there's a transformation in your heart about the group of people that you've been afraid to love. Maybe you disagree with them, don't understand them. Perfect love casts out fear. We major on the majors. Father, we just want to be people of love. We want to be people that demonstrate who you are to the world around us. Stir us up as a community of extravagant love. All for your sake and all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.